Welcome. Let's come back together. Find our seats. I have two thoughts for you this morning to begin our time together as we start a new series. The church, God's church, is on the move. He is working through His church. God's church is making a difference. Second thought, God's church is under attack. And, and as, I, as I talk to people, I don't think there's any question on either of those. Some have questioned the first one. They're like, well, I don't know if God's church is on the move. I don't know if it's making a difference. Some of that is because we can get so focused on the attacks. We can get so focused on the things that are, are problematic or the difficulties that we don't see how God's church is on the move and how God's church is the gospel in action. This morning as we come to to the book of Acts, we want to think through what did God intend for His church? What did He intend His church to be? What did He intend His church to do? One of the the things I heard from a pastor two weeks ago, um, they made a comment of, I don't think we're just ever going to go back to in-person services. We're really enjoying online. It's easier. And so we're just going to stay online. Other pastors have talked about quitting in 2022. They're like, we're just tired. We're tired of all the, the struggle. We're tired of all the attacks. And my heart breaks for the church. My heart breaks for the church in America because those are a result of Satan's attacks and sometimes Satan's diversions. And we think different things. And, and often they're a result of us forgetting why God created the church. And if we come and we think the church is just about us, and we think the church is just about making me happy and entertaining me a little bit, maybe getting some of my guilt away on Sunday morning, we have failed. Because that is not God's plan for the church. God has something far, far greater for the church. But the thing is, the more we pursue God's work, the more Satan will attack. God's church is under attack. We can think politically. We can think in terms of, of all kinds of externals. But I would argue God's church is also under attack from internals right now. As I watch attitudes in, in, in the church in America, as I watch different things going on, Satan wants to stop what God wants to do. But think about this. And sometimes we think, oh, this is, this is persecution of the church or this is struggles of the church like we've never seen before. The church has always been under attack. The church has been persecuted. The church has had members killed all the way from the founding of the church. And so if we're to understand how do we move forward as a church, how do we experience the incredible joy of seeing God work through us and seeing souls saved and seeing disciples made, how do we do that in the face of persecution? A great place to go is to first things and to look at the first church. Because the first church was persecuted. And the first church had people murdered. And the first church was told not to meet. And the first church was told not to preach the gospel. But they did. And God used them to grow a church and to make disciples around the world. Today, as we start the the book of Acts, 
we're coming back to first things. And my hope is as we study Acts that we catch some of the fire, that we see what God wanted for His church, that we embrace that and that we peel through some of the distractions and say we are going to be about what God wants us to be as a church. Our theme for the year is undistracted. And we started talking about that in January, that we have all these things that can get in the way of of God using the church for His purposes. But we won't be distracted from that as our commitment at Village. And we are going to come back to what God wants us to do. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Today will be an introduction where we get even fun with maps with Pastor Ron and we get a couple of other things because we want to understand the book of Acts as we study it. One of the reasons we do this is I'm hoping we're teaching all of us how to study God's Word. And we could just pick one verse and and pull it out and say, oh, that's my verse for the day and Judas went out and hung himself. Oh, that's a bummer one for today. Um... (laughs) Or we can look at the context and start to study God's Word as, as a unit like we should. And so part of what we do as we come to a book is we want to understand the history of the book. We want to understand the background of the book, the purpose of the book. And as we understand that, now we're seeing the Holy Spirit's intention for that book as we come to it. So in Acts chapter 1, we're going to cover the first 11 verses today. Um, in and out as we go through some of the details and some of the vitals of Acts. But I wanted to start by reading the first couple of verses, the first verse in particular, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now what should be your first question when you read that? First book? That implies this is the second book, right? I, I can do some math. I know how this works. And so there was a book that preceded this. And, and the very first thing that I want to understand in, in your notes is that Acts is a sequel. Okay, Sequels are really popular in movies, right? Because if you make a lot of money on one, you're going to just sucker a lot of people to come see the next one. That's just how it works. And then sometimes you end up with nine movies and um, all kinds of things. But Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. Now picture with me, and I want to play a little clip here in a moment. Picture with me 1980. And probably only a third of us can picture 1980. (laughs) That's okay. I can picture 1980. 1980 is a few years after this, this quaint little movie called Star Wars came out. And in 1980, picture yourselves in a dark theater because what just opened up is the sequel to Star Wars. not watching the whole thing, by the way. (laughs) Wait for it. What did the theater do at that point? The theater just erupts. It goes nuts. And we're like, wait, I already saw Star Wars. That doesn't make any sense. And then they start to sort of bring us in. And and we were all wondering, episode five, this is the second one. This doesn't make any sense. And so I'm just sort of walking through what we went through at the time. People are cheering. It is a dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Okay, we can stop there. That is not Acts. But I wanted to illustrate what is happening in the book of Acts and the excitement we should come to Acts with. 
So Luke ended, and, and, and Luke Acts are two volumes or two episodes of the same work. And, and Luke ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. And it's like, okay, we're done. And Acts says, no, we're not done. There's a lot more to the story. That's the beginning of the story. And so if we think about Luke and Acts as episodes that will help you understand the continuity, Luke was all about Jesus and the work of salvation, the gospel that Jesus came to give. And he died on the cross for our sins in our place. He took the penalty for our sins. And and that was what all of Luke is about, his life leading up to the cross. And then three days later, he defeated death and he defeated sin, ensuring us a resurrection and a future with, with him. And that's Luke, and it's an amazing thing. And you get to the end and the resurrection, and it's sort of like the celebration and the new hope, and, and it's great. But that's not where the story ended. And so Luke said, I'm going to write a second work, episode two, so to speak. It's called Acts. And this is, not, this is going to chart the next step that the purpose of the church is to carry on the work of Jesus. The two are tied together. Luke, the work of Jesus. Acts, the church carrying on the work of Jesus, spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to see Luke and Acts as one story. The gospel to bring people into salvation. The church now charged with spreading that and with continuing the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, there's different things that are just sort of fun. Luke and Acts probably were two full scrolls. They had a limit on the size of scrolls. And Luke probably wrote about as much as he could on each scroll. And and so these are two different scrolls. Um, Acts also, just incidentally, is the third longest book in the New Testament. Only Matthew and Luke are longer. Luke and Acts together, the the Luke and... It's not a trilogy. I don't know what you call two. But um, biology? No, I don't know. (laughs) Luke and Acts together form um, 30% of the New Testament. And so these are worth studying. And whereas Luke gets us all excited about our personal salvation and our individual salvation, Acts now shows what that means to the church and what God intended. And so in Acts chapter 1, you see right in the first, in the first book, O Theophilus, in the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Underline the word began. Okay, this again links the two together. We're dealing with the same story. Jesus came, he began to do and teach these things. What's the implication? That there's more, right? He began a work. God has a different plan for continuing that work. And that plan, as as one of our elders, Jim, shared this morning, that plan is the church. We are are continuing the work of Jesus Christ. This isn't about being a social club. This is about being on mission with the best mission to save the world, to bring salvation to all who will believe. And so right from the start in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so we, we see here that um, we, we see the ascension. And until that day, he was giving commands. The Holy Spirit was part of that to the apostles. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And so what Luke here is doing is he's sort of recapping what happened in the end of Luke. He's sort of tying it together. Like the scroll, scroll did of episode 5, like that did, it was bringing us back into the story. And that's what Luke is doing here. Turn to the end of, of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. And just, uh, I, I want you to see the structure because it's beautiful how, how the Holy Spirit um, directed this. Luke 24, 49 to 53. Luke 24, 49 to 53. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now this is Jesus speaking. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Luke ends with the same instruction that we're going to see at the beginning of Acts. To wait for the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you. He's going to give you power. And it says, then they went and worshipped, went to Jerusalem. And it just gives this quick summary of what happened. That's where Acts is going to pick up. And Acts 1 is going to take that paragraph and expand on that. And say, okay, that's where our story now continues in episode 2. The episode of the church. Or the Acts of the Apostles, as it's sometimes called. Now, now I, I don't know that that's the best title. It doesn't include all the apostles. Really, this is the acts, the continuing acts of Jesus through the apostles. That would be a better way of thinking it about the title, but the book of Acts. Okay, so turn back to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to hit some of the vitals here, and then we'll, we'll look at the rest of those verses. When we think of Acts, and, and I always like to give a main point, and, and this comes from studying the whole book of Acts, but it gives us a, a way to view what we're about to study. The main point of Acts, and you have this in your notes with a couple of links, God formed and empowered his church as a gospel community to continue the work of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Let me repeat that. God formed and empowered his church as a gospel community to continue the work of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Really, Acts is saying, it's going to describe what the church was, was formed to be and what the church was formed to do. And if you remember anything this morning, Acts is going to tell us what we should be as a church, what we should do as a church. Marshall, one of the commentaries, said, we are to confirm and proclaim the salvation that Jesus brought. That's our marching orders. That's what Acts is going to be about. He's going to say, peel through all the distractions be the church God wants you to be. Do the, the work that God wants you to do. Continue the work of Jesus Christ. A couple of just details in your notes. The author is Luke, as I've already mentioned. And so it never explicitly says that. And, and if you want some of the details to how we come up with that, you can look at the intro message to the, the Gospel of Luke that we did a couple of years ago. But we know this from a number of, of different um, options or different passages. Um, for instance, in Acts, oftentimes we'll see it switch to we did this instead of I did this or, or, or Paul did this rather instead of third person. It goes to second person, we, and um, or, or third person plural, sorry, we did this. And every time that that happens, it's when Luke joined them. 
And when Luke left, it went back to, well, Paul did this. And, and so we have different ways to, to really be pretty sure this is Luke. Um, the traditional, the church history, the tradition of church history um, has always held that Luke was the author of these two. And so there's not a lot of controversy there. Um, a couple things about Luke, just to remember, Luke was a physician. He was a very cultured man. Um, Luke was also a Gentile. And so through these two books, we see a lot of reaching out to the Gentile community. A lot of Gentile words are used, not a lot of Jewish words. Um, Jewish traditions are often explained a little bit more. But Luke also was a, a, often a traveling companion with Paul. Um, at one point in 2 Timothy, Paul says, Luke alone was, is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Luke was with Paul right before he was martyred, right before the end of his life. Not only was he a physician, he was also a a wonderful historian. He did his work and he did it well. He did his research, found the reliable sources, and he delivered that to us in a reliable way. Some people that have studied historians of the time said even the language he used is just language of a historian. So he knew what he was doing, did his research, recorded it in a very careful way, and did a wonderful job of giving us this orderly account, an accurate account. He was also a theologian, as we we will see in Acts, and especially some of the things he brings out, some of the theology he brings out. He's also an excellent writer, which is helpful for writing scripture. Um, he, He can tell a story really well. And so these are just some of the things about Luke that we want to remember. When we think about when Acts was written, it's written about the same time as the Gospel of Luke because they're two volumes, and so he probably just ended Luke and continued on with Acts probably somewhere around 60 to 62 A.D., for those of you that have good timelines in your head. Um, some of the, the reasons we know this is, is Acts ends with Paul still alive. And, and Paul... Um, not, in, not, not martyred yet. Um, it ends with him arrested, but still his future in doubt. And we know that, that Paul was um, in Rome about 63, 64 AD. And so that's probably the, the latest range where this was written um, during one of Paul's imprisonments of that time. And so we see Paul's conversion maybe about 33 AD, Thirteen years later, his first missionary journey. Three years after that, his second missionary journey. Three years after that, his third missionary journey. Um, Three years after that, arrested in Jerusalem. And then we come into about the time that Luke was written. So that's just some of the details that that help us understand. Um, Luke, as far as who it was written to, the recipients, he wrote to the church. Acts is written to the church. and, And I say that the church inclusive. And so he's not writing to the Jewish Christians. He's not writing to the Gentile Christians. He's writing to Christians. And making sure that the way he writes is something that all Christians in the church could understand and could receive at the time. And one of the themes that we'll see actually in Luke is a crossing of racial boundaries, a crossing of some of those distinctions that were entirely unbiblical. And so God is is saying, my church is made up of all who believe in Jesus Christ, period. And there's no distinction beyond that. And so we're going to see that in Luke's writing style and the things that he includes. Structure. 
this is often helpful. And, and, and I know some of you like all these details. Some of you are like, okay, let's get back to the verses. But um, look at verse 8. And verse 8 is really the theme verse of Acts. And, and we'll come back to that as we, we read through the passage. But verse 8 also is the structure of the book of Acts. Luke, being the historian and the doctor, he's very orderly in his thinking. So right, right up front, he puts the outline in. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The end of the earth. That right there is your outline for Acts. If you, if you just, just to give you a thumbnail to hang it on. Chapters 1 through 7 are dealing with the church in Jerusalem. The forming of the church, what the church is to be. And so 1 through 7, the church of Jerusalem, that's the first step in Acts 1-8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then it goes on into all Judea and Samaria. And Acts chapter 8 deals with Judea and Samaria. Um, some outlines say 8 through 12. I would argue 9 through 12 are more preparing for the ends of the earth. So I'm including that in my ends of the earth part of the outline. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> chapter 8, Judea and Samaria. And then 9 through 27 is the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And that's your, your broad outline of Acts. I mean, as you're going through Acts, as we see, you know, so 1 through 8 is going to deal more with Peter and the church. 9 through 27 is going to deal with more with Paul and the missionary journeys. And you can see right from, from verse 8, he's giving us a structure to think through. Now, it's helpful to understand the, the geography of the um, area to understand this. So we have a map, maps with Ron. And so down in, there we go. Down here, we have Jerusalem, okay? So this is Israel here, and, and we have a much bigger map today because that will help us understand Acts. And as Acts 1.8 says, we start in Jerusalem. That's where the church was formed. We're going to see that's where the Holy Spirit came on the church. That's where it all started for the church. And then it says Judea is next. And Judea comes down to the hill country here, down here. So Judea, if you think of this circle that's a little bit around Jerusalem... Um, mostly south and west, but a um, little bit to the east. That's the area closest to Jerusalem. Samaria, which incidentally begins to, to cross some racial boundaries, right? Because the Samaritans were half Jewish, half other, other cultures and um, races, and there was a lot of hatred and animosity there. Samaria is up in this area above Jerusalem, roughly. I don't have the exact lines there. Oh, I guess I, we can see it here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And at that point, that covers the first two sections of Acts and the first two sections of Acts 1-8. And we're going to see the church starts in Jerusalem and just starts to spread. Um, We've said a lot of jokes about like a virus, but um, the, the gospel is spreading though and it's unstoppable and it's a beautiful thing. From there though, the ends of the world... We're going to take most of the known world up here and see that in the rest of Acts. We're going to see Paul's first missionary journey he goes to Asia Minor primarily and up in this area. Then he's going to come up to the Macedonian area and some of this area and down in here with, with Greece. Eventually, at the end, he's going to end up over in Rome or his goal is to end up in Rome. And so he makes it to Italy. And that represents the, the spread of the gospel to the rest of the world. Now, we know that there's more world than this, right? And so when we see to the end of the earth, 
we know that that means everything else. But for them, this was the known world at the time, and it represented um, where the gospel was going to spread in the book of Acts, but it wouldn't be stopped. It would be unquenchable and would continue. And so that gives you sort of an idea of the structure of Acts, the geography of where we're going, and the difficulty of, of 12 apostles and a handful of disciples now taking what Jesus started and spreading this to the world. And that's a testimony to the power of the gospel. And so some themes that we're going to see in Acts, if you go to the next page. And really, the overarching theme is is the unquenchable gospel in action. It's the unquenchable power of the gospel working in the church, working to spread, working to make disciples. But there's a lot on that page, isn't there, themes? Usually we have like four, five. Acts is a, a, a big book that covers a big portion of history and an important portion of history. And so we're going to see a lot of different themes. And I mention them now so as we study, you can look through and you can, you can remember them. The first one is the advancement of the gospel in spite of opposition. Do you think the church needs to hear that today? The advancement of the gospel in spite of opposition. The opposition was fierce, worse than we experience. The opposition was difficult to overcome. And the gospel did not stop moving forward. The church did not stop moving forward. And we're going to see that. And I want you to catch that as the larger theme of the entirety of the book of Acts, all 27 chapters. We're also, the second theme we'll see is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. God didn't ask the church to do this alone or without power, without strength. God said, here's your task, too big for you. Here's the Holy Spirit, not too big for him. And that's what we have to remember as we come to Acts. And, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit sovereignly saying, go here, don't go here. He's at work. He brings people to himself. And, and Acts is, is often more about seeing where the Holy Spirit is going and following him than deciding what the best plan is to strategically expand the church. It's much better to say, how is the Holy Spirit expanding the church and jump on board with that than to say, what are my best ideas? And so we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. That is an area that, that I pray that we continue to grow in at Village. That we, we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We are asking for His direction. We are asking for His power. That we are dependent on Him, not on self and our own abilities. And so I, I pray that as we study Acts, we catch that. And that, that goes deep into our hearts. Number three is tied to that, the power of prayer in the church. The power of prayer in the church. The early church would circle up and pray and prison doors would open up. The early church would pray and thousands would come to Christ. They were dedicated to prayer. They were devoted to prayer that we'll see in the first couple chapters. And that was part of who God intended them to be and God used that then to help them do what God intended them to do. And so we want to see the power of prayer in the church, not to get what we want, not for health and wealth, but to see the mission of Jesus continue, to see us as his hands and feet continuing that. The fourth theme that I pray that we see as we study Acts is the gospel's effect on community in the church. The gospel's effect on community 
in the church. We're going to see how the early church loved each other. We're going to see how they sacrificed for each other, how they were committed to unity above preferences. We're going to get a window into the life of the church. And it will be challenging to us, I hope, to say, is that us? And are those principles principles we embody? As, as we think through, as we look at the descriptions of the church, we're not going to do things exactly like them. We're not going to meet all of us in my home with no electricity and you know, all that. But we're going to take the principles of the early church and say, is that village? And so we want to see the gospel's effect on community at village. This should be a place where people walk in and say, I have no idea how those 200 people get along except for the Holy Spirit. And then they're drawn to the Holy Spirit. They're drawn to God. Fifth theme that we'll see is we're going to see the servanthood of leadership in the church. The organization of the church. It is a challenging thing to take an organization from twelve to 20,000 in a few years. And that was the task they had, and they didn't do it because they had the best education. They did it because they followed the work of the Holy Spirit and chose to be servants rather than dictators. Chose to obey rather than make it all about themselves. And so we're going to see the servanthood of leadership in the church, which is how the church grows and how the church thrives. Sixth theme that we're going to see, and this gets a little more on the personal basis, we're going to see lives that are radically changed because of the gospel. Lives that are radically changed through the gospel. And my hope is, is that gives us some excitement of the power of the gospel. And we can say, hey, look at this change. This person completely changed. Look at Cornelius and his family. Look at the Philippian jailer and his family. God is completely changing people's lives through the Holy Spirit. And he still does today. And he still wants to affect us that way and change us. And it's a reminder that all of us are in process in sanctification. None of us have arrived. Praise God that gives us hope. Because God is still at work, radically changing us through the gospel. Seventh theme I've already mentioned, and this one is so vital to see, I think so vital for the church in America to see, the gospel is available to all, including Gentiles. The gospel is available to all, every race, every nation. It's available to all, including the Gentiles. That was their big thing. How dare you bring Gentiles into this? Praise God they did. And this deals with racism. But beyond that, it deals with preferential treatment. It deals with how do we view the church and some of the differences we see ourselves with and and forgetting that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And without the cross, we're all sinners destined for hell. With the cross, we're all brothers and sisters in the same family. That's it. Those are the options. And so the church... We are brothers and sisters in the same family, so let's link arms and move forward. And let's do God's work together. And we're going to see the early church struggle with this. We're going to see them create councils to figure out how to do this and whether one group's way of doing things is better than another's and should be imposed on another. It's a struggle. And I appreciate that we have that in God's Word. But the gospel is available to all, including Gentiles. And finally, eight, we've already mentioned the mission of the church. The purpose of the church is to spread the gospel. 
And we're going to see the daring boldness of the church. We're going to see the church do things that we're like, that's crazy. You were almost killed there. Why are you still there preaching? Come on, Paul, get a clue. And we're going to see this daring boldness because the mission, the primary mission is to spread the gospel. And that's got to cut through all kinds of other things we think the church should be or we want the church should be. Are we making disciples? Village, that's what we will stand before Christ and answer for. Are we making disciples? We're not going to answer for if we had the best paint color or the best coffee or anything else. Now, that's great. We can have good, good colors. I appreciate that. Some of you appreciate that more than me. We can have Dr. Pepper in the machine and enjoy the finer things in life. That's not our mission. Those are extras. Our mission is, are we making disciples? And so we need to think through everything we do as a church. Are we distracting from that mission? Or are we supporting it? Does this event help discipleship? Does it detract because we're taking time away from other things? We need to be radical in our thinking of saying, are we on mission for the Lord? Are we continuing the work of Christ? Or are things getting in the way? Those are eight, and I narrowed it down to eight, but eight of the themes that we're going to see in Acts. And we're going to hit every one of those in different sermons as we go forward. Please don't pick and choose which theme you like and don't like and choose which Sunday to come and not come. Let's study God's Word and let it change us. Let it affect us. And so jump back to Acts, chapter 1. I want to finish reading the first 11 verses. We started with verses 1 through 3, which is really the prologue or the previously on this episode. And previously we saw what Jesus, be that, that He began to teach and do things and we see that, that he has orchestrated apostles. He's chosen apostles. And they're going to be spreading that. Verse 3, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's really interesting because that seems really intentional. Whenever you see a number in Scripture, it's not always intentional. Sometimes it's just historical, but sometimes it's like, huh, have we seen 40 days before? Moses in Mount Sinai, 40 days preparing to bring the, the um, commandments and the instructions to Israel. We saw Elijah on a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, right where God is refreshing him for ministry and preparing him for more ministry. We see Jesus in the wilderness. Before he starts his ministry, he takes 40 days in the wilderness and prepares for ministry. And so I... I I don't think it's a big stretch to say that 40 is very intentional, that God is preparing the apostles. He's preparing the church for ministry and what's going to come. And so Jesus takes those 40 days and pours into them and tells them things. And, and we, we see some of the appearances of Jesus. Ah, he only appeared with his disciples once or twice. No, he spent a lot of time with them is the implication here. In fact, verse 4 says, And while staying with them, and you probably have a footnote in your Bible, because that, that word staying with them actually means sharing salt with them. It means to eat with somebody. I'm not saying go salt your food, but that was their terminology for eating with someone, and that implied relationship. And so Jesus is pouring into his disciples because he knows their task. He knows the next mission. And so we see this, this previously in volume one section, or this prologue section, as Jesus is preparing them 
for what's going to happen. Now, I want to end today with the two commands that Jesus gave them. He gave them two commands, wait and go. You're like, wait a minute. Those seem contradictory. Let's explore it. Let's see what Jesus meant, because those are the two commands he gave. Two things on his last words on this planet of what they should do. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, and we already read that in Luke, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We saw that again in verse 8, where where he said again to wait, and to wait for the work of the Lord and for the Holy Spirit to come on them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so Jesus' first command is to wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit to give power. Wait for the Holy Spirit to give direction. Now, now this, we're going to talk about this throughout Acts because Acts is a transitional time with the Holy Spirit, right? If they have to wait to receive the Holy Spirit, what does that imply? That they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit yet. And so they're still under how it worked in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come on someone and empower them, but then go. And and one of the promises Jesus said, do you remember what he said? It's better that I go. Why? Because I can bring, I can send the comforter to you. I can send the helper to you. And so Jesus said, I'm going to go to heaven all the way back in John. He's saying, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to indwell you. Acts is a transitional book where we see the Holy Spirit beginning to indwell believers. And and there's going to be some um, places where like, wait, 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 why is the Holy Spirit not on the Samaritans yet? Well, the Holy Spirit is waiting until some of the church leaders are there to see that so they know that the Samaritans are included in the church. And so we're going to see this transitional time where the Holy Spirit is beginning to indwell believers. Now, we're after that now. We know that every believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that I know there's a lot of different definitions for that. As we understand Scripture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you're saved, and it is simply the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit now, the good news, every believer in this room has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Every person in this room that believes that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for their sins, repented of their sins, and followed him, has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They were waiting for that. Waiting for episode two to start. And the Holy Spirit came and gave power, and what an experience. And we're going to cover that in Acts chapter two. But in many ways, we still need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying wait for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but it is so easy to forget to rely on the Holy Spirit for our decisions. Many of you are in, how many of you are in some sort of ministry at Village? Like 80% of the hands. You have a choice every time you come to ministry. You've probably done it enough where you could do it without thinking and you could phone it in. And just... I'm here, I can, I can teach little kids, I can watch nursery, I can play on worship team, I can clean the grounds, whatever. I, I just do this every week. I don't even have to, have to think about it. And we stop waiting on the Holy Spirit when we do that. Or every time we come, we can say, Holy Spirit, I need you today. 
I need you to do this ministry, help me do this ministry with the right heart. I need you to help me see people that need someone to pray with. I need you to help me see people that are lonely and need someone that loves them today, that will pray for them today. And so we are still called to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit with the the first church is what gave them the power, that hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit is still what gives us power. Anyone that teaches any of the classes, part of your preparation needs to be prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to speak through you and give you the words to say. Because if you do it on your own, oh, that's going to fall flat so quickly. And it's going to be devoid of power that comes when we do things under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, verse 6 and 7 is something I call a distraction of control and a distraction of expectations. So when they had come together, they're like, okay, they get to Jerusalem. They come together in the the room. Jesus is still with them. They asked him, okay, Lord, now? Is now the time? Come on, let's do this. And I'm reading into it a little bit, but they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time you're going to kick out the Romans? Heavenly hosts are coming down. We're waiting. Now, before we get too hard on them, because we can look back and say, well, of course it wasn't an army that was going to come and and take out the Romans. You have to remember the prophecies that they had memorized and were saying sometimes daily in their homes said the Lord was going to come and bring peace and said that the Lord was going to come and destroy his enemies. And they didn't yet know that this was a two-step process of the church and then the Lord's second coming. And so they didn't know that. And what's even more so, in, in like Joel and Zechariah, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was often tied with the peace or with the conquering of the Messiah. And so when they, any of us would have done this, if you heard Jesus say, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, it's like, yes, Darth Vader's gone. Because that was one of the signs that they were looking for that the Messiah was going to conquer. Now, now we know, looking back, the Messiah did conquer a much more difficult enemy, the, the, the enemy of death and sin and the penalty for that sin on our lives. And he gave salvation. And now he's building his kingdom on earth right now through his church. And then when he returns, it will be visible. So we have the already and the not yet. But they were, they were excited and they were getting ahead of the Holy Spirit, I think, a little bit. Now, at this time, will we restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, he being Jesus, it is not for you to know times or season that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Basically, he answered, that's none of your business. Don't worry about that. Worrying about the time, worrying about when something needs to happen, worrying about how that's going to happen, that's a distraction. You're to wait and go. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. And Jesus is saying, let the Holy Spirit figure out the other details. He's pretty good at it. And so he says, it's not the time, it's not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
what a wonderful reminder to not be distracted from the mission. To be undistracted in our walking with God and what, the, what God wants the church to do. You know, uh, many of us remember about the same time that all the Star Wars movies were coming out, the end times discussions were huge. And oftentimes they were so huge that we could argue about that till we were blue in the face and we'd forget to share the gospel. And Satan used something good and interesting to distract from what was best and what God intended. And that happens today with all kinds of other things we worry about. But it also happens when we try to get ahead of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in ministry, how this can look today is we have our plan and we have sort of the business plan and we know what we're going to do as a church and the church needs to do this, this, and this. And we get ahead of the Holy Spirit, whereas oftentimes it's better to stop and say, I need to pray through these plans. And I need to have clarity from the Holy Spirit that this is what he wants us to do. And there are times that that comes quickly. And there are times that maybe for a ministry some of you are proposing and, and us as pastors and elders, we're praying about it or I'm praying with you and there's no clarity for a couple of years. And so should we get upset at the Holy Spirit for his timing? Go ahead. <laughs> but what I have found in 25 years of ministry is that when I wait for the Holy Spirit, even if it's slow to me, He blesses and does a work I can't even dream of. Now, I know the other side of this, and some of you planners are thinking, but if we never push, we'll never do anything. How do we keep from just being lazy and not doing anything? And that's a valid concern, and that's where prayer comes in and accountability with each other. But if we aren't convinced the Holy Spirit wants us to do something, we shouldn't do it, and we should wait even if every business plan says it's the best thing to do. And that's something we've got to get out of our corporate mindset and into a Holy Spirit mindset and understand what it means to wait. Tozer writes this, when we think of waiting on the Holy Spirit, I also think of being spiritually ready and spiritually in tune with God. Tozer writes this, and this is wonderful. The popular notion that the first obligation of the church is to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth is false. Like, what? Her first obligation is to be spiritual, spiritually worthy to spread it. Our Lord said, go ye, but he also said, tarry ye. Now that's in, in King James Version. And the tarrying had to come before the going. Had the disciples gone forth as missionaries before the day of Pentecost, it would have been an overwhelming spiritual disaster. For they could have done no more than to make after their own likeness, and this world would have altered for the worse the whole history of the Western world and had consequences throughout the ages to come. And so they needed to go to the upper room and tarry and wait. Don't discount spiritual preparation. The verses go on in verse 8, and the second command is go. Go and carry on his work until he returns. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And again, the power that God is empowering his work, we're looking for that because we want to do what God is doing. We want to be part of that. And you will be my witnesses someone that confirms and carries a message, even to the point of death. 
You will be my witnesses or my ambassadors in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now in that verse, we are the end of the earth. Praise God, the gospel has gone places beyond our wildest imagination. But then a secondary application of that, when we think of our own desire as a church, we can think of those same concentric circles and say, we're to be witnesses in in Garden Grove. And then we're to be witnesses in making a difference in Orange County and in California and to the ends of the earth which we, we do a wonderful job with our commitment to missions. And so we see the church's purpose is to go and carry on Christ's work until he returns. We're to be conduits. If we've experienced God's power, we have something to share. If we're struggling to be witnesses for Christ, we're probably struggling because we haven't experienced God's power. And we need to reevaluate, am I saved? Am I following the Holy Spirit? Because that power is what's going to create witnesses that have influence. Last couple verses as we close. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. Now just, again, this is a true story. Picture this. They're standing up on the Mount of Olives near Bethany and, and Jesus starts to rise up and goes into a cloud. And the disciples are like, what just happened? This is, this is like Star Trek stuff, not to make Star Wars and Star Trek. Cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they're standing there and their mentor, the Messiah, that they've been with for three, three and a half years at this point, leaves. And they're like, what just happened? My, he left. We're it. This isn't good. And, and, and so the, I can just picture them looking there and I can picture a sense of loss. I can picture a sense of fear. And, and they just stay looking. And, and I don't know what that was. I don't know if they're thinking he's going to come right back because he promised to come back. And so maybe this is just like a, a, a nap or something. I don't know. But they're still looking there because they're consumed by the circumstances of what just happened. And they're probably consumed by some of that loss. And the two angels come. And a little bit of conjecture about what they're feeling. But the two angels come and say, basically... Why are you still standing here? Right? Why do you stand looking up into heaven? That's not what Jesus told you to do. He told you to go wait for the Holy Spirit, then go to the ends of the earth and spread the gospel. Not to stand here looking up. And so this is sort of a kick in the seat of the pants saying, go do what you were told to do. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And there's an assurance there because of God's grace. Even when we're struggling, he gives assurance. And he says, he's going to come back. He's going to come back and it'll be unexpected and and, in the clouds like, like you just saw. But he will return. But you have work to do. And many of the commentators say the tone here has a little bit of reproof in it. Stop this. Go do the work. 
And the idea is don't let this distract you either, disciples. Stop this. Go do the work. And so I end today with what are our distractions? We, we've said that the theme this year is undistracted, and, and this particular series is rediscovering church, the unquenchable gospel in action. And the idea of rediscovering church isn't that we're going to you know, create a new paradigm for church that's new to even God. The, the idea of rediscovering church is God's created the paradigm of the church. He's formed the church. How can we strip away the distractions that get in the way of that and rediscover what he intended us to be and to do? That's what Acts is going to be about. And there are all kinds of distractions that can come up and all kinds of things that get in the way. And, and you can start to, you, you can think even the last week or two, what kinds of things distracted you from the mission of the church? And we can think, um, we can think on a national level. We can think on a personal level. And I just put some of those things here. Sometimes just the evil of this world distracts us. Or like, I don't even know if I can go forward. There's so much evil in this world. Sometimes our own personal desire for fun gets in the way. You know, Sunday morning, there's a lot of other things I could be doing that are more fun. Sometimes our hurts get in the way. And we're so hurt that we can only focus on that and we can't give that to Jesus and say, actually, I'm to be about, through the Holy Spirit, going to the world. Sometimes it can be our anger, which goes with hurt. Hurt often leads to anger. And we're just so angry at someone in the church that we can't even picture linking arms and sharing the gospel with them. You want me to do second harvest with so-and-so? Are you nuts? Well, I don't know. Is your main mission to be angry at someone or is your mission to take the gospel and continue the work of Jesus Christ? Because we can get over a lot of things if we understand we're continuing the work of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're just tired. Tired, our time, our schedule. Sometimes and what I'm hearing from pastors is they're just tired of the battle right now. Tired of the continual attacks from Satan. And my thought is, if Satan's attacking, then let's double down on doing God's work. And, and let's just show him. And, and, and let's come together to do that. I think we get tired when we try to do God's work alone. But when we do it as community, now we're lifting each other up. Sometimes, and what I see a lot, is a struggle to trust. There are so many reasons why we've learned not to trust leaders in the world that we extend that into the church. We extend that into other relationships. And we're like, I'm going to protect myself. I know best. And that keeps us from doing God's work. COVID, we'll just say that. Sometimes it's medical things. And, and there's a, I, I see a lot of Satan attacking village. And I see medical needs all over village. I see job needs all over village. I see hurts all over village. And again, should our medical needs stop us from the mission of God? Or should we find a way to use them for the mission of God? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Sometimes we just want to be entertained at church. And we come to church wanting it to serve us and we don't come wanting to serve others. Job issues. Our pride, and this, this man, I see this as rampant in the church since COVID. It was before too, but it just seems to have come to a head. 
our own pride, our own self-protection, politics. And all of those things get in the way of rediscovering what God intended his church to be. And so village, as we study Acts for the next year, can we each week strip something else away and discover what God wants to do through his church? Because God wants to do incredible things through his church. And he wants to do things through village. I met with the outreach team a couple weeks ago and some of the ideas and some of the scope of what could we do in Garden Grove. What difference could we make in Orange County? It's exciting. But will we be willing to put the time into it? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, let's do what God wants us to do and see God work in mighty ways. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray as we study Acts that we will be a changed church that you will refine us in the church that you intended us to be, that you will, you will challenge us with the work you intended us to do, Lord. And, and in so many ways, I see Village as already having a heart for these things and pursuing these things. And so, Lord, I pray that the book of Acts would just refine us and tweak us and, and steer us in the right direction where maybe we've gone a little bit off course. But Lord, I pray that you would use Village Bible Church on Buaro Street to make a difference in this neighborhood. That people would be disciples in this neighborhood because we are here. Lord, I pray that we would be known in Garden Grove as a church that loves Jesus and has hope. And Lord, I pray that our missionaries around the world would be, would be sharing the gospel would be empowered to do so, that they would know we are behind them so they're not tired. But I know some of our missionaries are already tired. And I pray that we would then lift them up and that would be our part in, in doing the going part of your commands. Lord, strip away the wrong views of church that we might have and help us to get excited about what you want church to be. Thank you, God. We pray as a, as a church that you would use this series in mighty ways. In your name, amen.